Hey guys, Norm here. I hope that this podcast finds you all well. So before I get right into the podcast content, I wanted to take two seconds and say, I don't know, the the, the title that I'm giving this podcast feels kind of like clickbaity, but I don't mean it to be that way. I actually touched pretty heavily on the topic of me like deleting some of my own video content. It's not like I'm like deleting the YouTube channel or like all my videos are going to disappear or anything like that. I definitely don't mean it that way. So if the title made you worry at all, I'm I'm really sorry, but it is a topic that I cover pretty deeply in today's video, amongst other things. So without further ado, let's just jump right into today's podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast. And as always, if you are a regular listener... Welcome back. Can you hear the smile on my face today? Well, if you can, it's probably because I'm pretty happy to be doing today's podcast. Actually, I'm always happy to be doing the podcast, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Today, I'm particularly happy because we're doing something today that I feel we haven't done in a while, and I'm really looking forward to doing it. Today, we're doing just a normal sit down and talk podcast. I feel like it's been a while since I've done one of these, and I've just been trying to make the time for it. And today, today, we have the time. So I'm just going to start this podcast by saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is and whatever you're doing. I hope that this podcast finds you well. Embedded within today, we're going to have a little bit of story time. But before we do that, I want to express gratitude to those of you who have been reaching out to me on Twitter and Instagram through messages and just saying, hey, I love this about the podcast or hey, I'd like to hear more about this or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, I have been putting in a little bit more time, effort and investment into the podcast because I think there's a lot that we can be doing here separate from the YouTube channel that we would be able to get a lot of enjoyment out of. So one of those things is investing in some new audio equipment and putting a little more time and effort into the production of the podcast. There's a few things that I'm testing out and trying out, and I would love to hear your guys' preferences on it. For example, one of those things is testing out different microphone setups and seeing based on your listening preferences and your profile, which one you enjoy the most. For example, I've got this microphone going right now, but I also have another microphone that sounds slightly different. Let's test that one out for just a second. So this is the other microphone right here. You'll notice instantly that the high end is cut out a little more. There's a bit more low end. It's got a bit of a, a softer sound to it. I don't know. Personally, uh, you know, it can be difficult to choose between one or the other, but if you have a preference, let's call it the previous one microphone A, and we'll call this microphone B. If you have a preference between the two, let me know through Twitter or something. For now, I'm going to go back to microphone A because that's what I've gotten used to lately. There we go, guys. We're back on microphone A. So if you have a preference between stuff like that, microphone A or microphone B, every now and then I might test something out and toss it in. If you guys have a preference, then away we go. But for now, I kind of want to jump into story time. So 
Story time today is going to be talking about some recent travels that I did and a little bit about the, the content that we've been producing along the way as well as something I don't share as often but would love to share with you today a bit of maybe struggles in the background of things. So jumping right in at the beginning of this month well and then right now we are we're like the 14th of February by the way happy Valentine's to all of you out there um yeah, that I just, just I literally just looked at my watch and was like, "Wow, today, today is today is Valentine's." Uh, on the on days where I try to produce content, I do everything that I can to lock myself into a little world where I don't check out Twitter and Instagram and YouTube as much. I still do some basic replies and stuff like that, but I try to go more into my own world during these days. And today's is definitely been one of those days so at the end of january beginning of february if you've listened to the previous podcast you'll know that i achieved one of our step one of one of my goals with the shamisen players kiki and we made it out to milan together it was an exciting exciting opportunity and if you've seen the video up on the youtube channel you'll know that very very rarely do I get a full day to ourselves when I do travel, but this time, this time we got a day all to ourselves, and we decided to use this day to explore the city and produce a bit of content. Now, this was really exciting for us. Kiki was able to see Milan and enjoy the area and everything, and I was able to do what I love doing, which is just produce and create. So it was good all around. But in the, I'd say just as we were checking into the hotel in Milan, something exciting happened. I got an email from a company that said, we just saw your video on Sapporo. Would you like to come back out to Sapporo? It looks like you haven't been here in nearly 15 years. We'd love for you to see it again. And it was kind of, it was like a, a no strings attached kind of deal. And I thought, well, this, this is fantastic. I, I, you know, I don't like to trade off too much on like sponsored videos, unless it's something that I really, really believe in. But this was just like, would, would you show the area of Sapporo and what it is today? That that's all we want for you to do. Just come back and re-experience it. And that, that was an opportunity that I just could not turn down. The chance to go back to Sapporo and share that with you guys. But there was a catch. You see, the catch was I would have to go directly from Milan to Sapporo, basically. And when I say directly, it, it's not exactly directly. You see, what it was is I was getting back to Japan on February 5th, but the Sapporo job started on February 5th. Well, it was actually more of a Hokkaido job in general. We were going out to the area of Asahikawa, and then we were going out to Otaru, and then Sapporo, and just basically having as many experiences as we could fit into that time. So I got back to them, and I said, unfortunately, I'm not getting back to Japan until the afternoon of the 5th. I don't know if this works for you. If it does, let me know, and I would be glad to go directly. I got the okay from them, and there we go. Finished up the three days of work that we had remaining in Milan, 
And that was crazy in its own. I, I want to take two seconds to, to touch on Milan because I don't know when or if I'm going to have the opportunity to go back to Italy. It was our third time going. It has been a lot of fun, but it really, really is busy. We start right from the morning. We head out to the event space. The girls do minor performances throughout the day, a couple major stage performances, and then we basically head back to the hotel, prep for the next day, and do it again. But you see, in this travel, I wasn't expecting to be going anywhere this cold. So when I packed for Milan, I packed really, really minimally. I brought maybe three or four shirts because I was going to be there for three days. I brought all the necessary undergarments, a pair of pants, and a light jacket with a sweater. That was pretty much it. And so a large part of me was hoping that I'd get the opportunity to swing back home when I got into Tokyo. But when I got into Tokyo, I checked the time and it would have been like really cutting it to the wire and risking missing my flight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. That was loud. And I was not really willing to risk missing my flight. So I figured I'll just take what I've got and go with it. Now, I don't know how many of you know about the area of Asahikawa, but it's it's more of a... a a local uh, kind of countryside-esque area. And so getting in there, it wasn't like I had all these open shops that I could go to to grab stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm Canadian anyway. I'll be fine. I didn't even buy gloves until my very last day. But between leaving Milan and getting to Asahikawa, there was a lot of adventure embedded within that little time span all in its own. You see... We left Milan and went directly from Milan to Moscow. Now, for those of you who have never been to Moscow, the Moscow airport is an adventure all in its own. And it's one that it, I just, I, th there are no lines. It is just, I just, wow. There's, okay, how can I describe this? Usually when you're going for a security check, you line up. And this, this is standard at pretty much every airport that I've been to in the world. However, Moscow, Moscow was exciting. Moscow, you basically just crowd in a giant ball of humans in front of a door and everyone wiggles their way to the front of the crowd. It, it filters in kind of like a, like a funnel into this doorway. So that in its own was an interesting experience. And... When we arrived in Moscow, we then transferred off to Japan, Narita Airport, finally. And so we've got Milan Airport, we've got the Moscow Airport, we've got Narita Airport. But as soon as I arrived in Narita, I had to head to Haneda Airport, which is the other airport in Tokyo. And then from there, I headed off to the Asahikawa Airport. Now, this was really it was an interesting and challenging moment for me because inside the planes, I used that opportunity to edit content and put together a content plan for when I was going to Sapporo, do a bit of research, this, that, the next thing. But more than that, I wanted to capture this moment. It was really, you know, how often in your life do you have a chance to take four flights and visit five airports all in the span of like 25 hours? That's not something that happens very often. And it's something that I wanted to share. So I recorded and captured the entire thing. Five airports, four planes, all in 24, 25 hours. And the goal was to be able to put out a video for you guys. Actually, to be able to put out a video for you guys today. 
But you see, there's been something that's been happening more often lately than I'd like it to. And I thought the podcast would be a great chance to talk about that. You see, more often than not lately, I'm simply running out of time. And I'm not complaining. I actually think it's a really, really good thing for two reasons. Number one, it means that I have enough going on that, you know, time is moving quickly and that I've got to make choices. And I think making those difficult choices in the end is kind of a, a training or growth thing all in its own, but I'm not going to get super philosophical on all that. I think the other side of it is being that busy kind of trains you to focus in more and more on what's more important. So rather than me using, you know, 10 minutes and reshooting something three or four times, more often than not, I'm having to tell myself, like, I'm getting this in one shot or not getting it at all. But along with that, more often than not, I'm recording entire videos, and I mean entire videos that I'm not having the chance to release. And it feels like such a waste. It feels almost heartbreaking because I'll get the entire video in, but then I'll either run out of time for edit or another project will come up or the video will just no longer be relevant to the storyline at all. In fact, this five airports in 24 hours video leads up to me arriving in Asahikawa. So the best chance for this would have been for me to release this before I released the Sapporo video. So that's one thing that pushed it back. And then another video that I'm working on pushed it back even more and then events. And then all of a sudden, who knows, maybe someday in the future, I will release it. It's not really like Japan based content anyways. It's just one of those videos that I personally would like to have on the channel as a memory for myself. And that's something that, you know, we talked about a little bit in the beginning of the content creation and in the beginning of the podcast, which is I started a lot of this as kind of like a, a legacy thing. So I could look back, you know, a year, two years, five years, even 10 years from now and say, that's what my life was like back then. So in that case, it's a video that I would like to have up on the channel, but, you know, I, I don't want to rush it and compromise the quality of it. And that brings me into a separate, slightly side topic on this that I think is really, really important and I, I want to mention here. So one of you reached out to me, you know who you are, and said you would love to see more links to places in the description box, at the very least the names of places, maybe like a bit of directions on how to get from A to B. This is all fantastic ideas. Um, I did respond to this person's email, but I think that this is something that I would like to respond to all of you with so that you all kind of have an understanding. I 100% agree that at the very least, I should be remembering to put the place names in the description box. If you see me miss it, comment, let me know. No issues there. But when I first started Tokyo Lens, one of the things that I was doing is I was trying to put Google Maps links to everything in the description box. But you see, I have a real problem with half measures. I really like to do things fully and beautifully and 100% of the way. And if I do something part way and it's not quite complete, I more than often will just get rid of it rather than, you know, put it out there. Point in case, a lot of the videos lately. I have so many half edited videos that are just no longer relevant. And so I've just been getting rid of them. 
ones that it would not make sense to release now. Either the video itself isn't relevant, the information isn't relevant, the season isn't relevant, no matter what it is, just something about it isn't relevant. And it's only half done anyway, so I just delete it. I just get rid of it, or I just leave it to the side. So that being said, one of the things that I was doing, and it started to get really carried away, is when I would make these Google Maps links, I wanted to make sure that I was doing it with some kind of information because I noticed that the people who were checking it were spending some time with it. So I started making my own Google Maps overlays. And when I had my own Google Maps overlay, then you could just go into Google Maps, click the Tokyo lens map, and there would be all these places that I've mentioned in different videos. But inside of there, I wanted to add like comments and information into each of these locations. So that started taking even more time. Then I decided, well, why don't we research all the different ways to get there? And then all of a sudden it became this giant task. And then I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go this far, one of the things that I want to do, especially once I have left my corporate job, is I just want to start a blog to go along with Tokyo Lens so that there's a little bit of a post on each section that includes how to get there, this, that, the next thing. And in the end, I started it and just couldn't continue it. I did it for about two videos and just kind of did it as a practice thing, didn't really release it. But it was adding, on average, anywhere between one and three hours to the video. And I realized that, so something that I don't share very often is, I think very similarly to a lot of other creators, I get my best editing work done at night. Uh, more often than not, the, the night before. There's something, there's two things that work really well for me. Number one, editing when the content is fresh, when the memory or feeling of that day or whatever I was doing is still super fresh inside of me. It really helps for me to create a rhythm for the video and choose the music that's going to match that video the most because that music will kind of match my feelings that I have at the time. Once the video's gone stale for like a week or two, it makes it a lot more difficult for me to choose the right music or to edit the video in the right tone. And a lot of my editing really happens the best at night. During daytime, there's a ton of distractions, whether it be me wanting to create content, whether it be me doing emails, no matter what it is, there's something during the daytime that kind of pulls my attention away from that. But as soon as about 10, 11 p.m. hits from about, I'd say, anywhere between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m., that's where I hit an editing groove where nothing in the world distracts me. And more often than not, especially Tokyo Tuesdays, I will be editing those or at least doing a final run of editing that runs me up until about 2 or 3 o'clock Monday night and then releasing those. Sometimes I actually release them like on Tuesday night here in Japan and I'll release them anywhere between like midnight and 2 a.m. And then I like to sit down and especially once the video's released, I wanna release it early enough that I can sit down and hang out in the comments. You guys have probably noticed this before on a video release, I love hanging out in the comments. So adding this like one to two hour gap where I create like Google Maps links or do anything like that, always just started to feel like it was a bit of a waste. It was making me a little more tired so that I wasn't replying to comments as much and this, that, the next thing. So that being said, I, in the process of that, I realized that one of the reasons that I was trying to do that so much is because I was really, really enjoying the research side of things. 
And the more of you guys that I met or the more of you guys who reached out to me via DM or something like that, the more I realized that I think for a lot of people and YouTube comes into this in a really big way, the exciting part about a trip isn't just the trip itself. It is the research that leads up to that. And that's when I started to realize that well, maybe as long as I have like place names and whatnot in there, I don't need to fully guide how to get there and every little detail of what to do. Because if you have an idea of where to go, half of the fun from there is doing the rest of the research on your own. So that's a conclusion that I kind of came to. I might be totally wrong. You might be sitting here listening to this podcast going, no, 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 no. I don't like the research at all. But me personally, I love the research and I'm sure there are just as many people out there who do. So between me not wanting to totally kill the energy on a video release and like end up putting in too much information, too much time so that like I, I really want to focus on the video content itself. So that is my super long answer for why I don't include as much stuff in the description box. And I, I hope it makes sense. In the end, I kind of want the video to be an experience separate to its own. And if it's inspired you, like, for example, Sapporo and Otaru and stuff like that, if those videos inspired you enough that you want to go and do something, I'm sure, 100% sure that you're going to be able to find stuff in your research that I wouldn't find. People have different ways of searching and approaching things. And I kind of feel if I'm like, you need to go do this, 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 then more often than not, there are going to people be people who are like, ah, well, then those those are the things I'm going to do. And they're going to skip out on the research, maybe. And they might even miss things. One of the favorite, one of my personal favorite things, and I think it stands really well in the comments section of this Hokkaido and Sapporo video is there are so many people who have amazing knowledge about the area and share their favorite spots in the comments. And I love that so much. Places that I'd never heard of, places that I don't know about. And I think it every single time it reinforces, I'm like, I'm really glad that I didn't say you should go here, 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 here in this video because like this person knows way more than I do. And I really, really love that. And actually on that note, there's one more thing that I kind of wanted to mention. And it's in this Sapporo video, I slightly misspoke at the beginning. And I think quite a few of you are going to know exactly what I mean. I edited my comment at the top of the YouTube video just to reflect this. But one of the things I said was that the area of Hokkaido has only been inhabited for 150 years. This was an inaccurate statement. What I meant to say, and I can't believe I didn't even catch it in the edit, was that the area of Hokkaido has only been inhabited by modern Japanese civilization for about 150 years. Much like many areas, the area of Hokkaido actually had its own natives called the Ainu. And there were, there were actually other native tribes and everything spread out throughout Hokkaido. The area of Hokkaido and its history with the natives is insanely interesting. And if you have the chance to Google or do a bit of research about it, because the area of Hokkaido is comparatively new to the rest of Japan, it's a fantastic starting point to learn about Japan and Japanese history and everything like that. When I was learning about Japanese history, I actually started with Hokkaido and kind of worked my way down through the nation of Japan. Half because it's 
you know, relatively comparatively a newer area in terms of being inhabited by modern Japanese civilization and half because I figured it would be a really easy starting point. And when I started reading about the Hokkaido area, I just couldn't stop. So if Japanese history is something that you are at all interested in, it's something that I would heavily suggest you to take a peek at. So I think that kind of wraps up that, like the whole question of putting in links and research and everything. Additionally, if you guys, if I'm going to an area and you guys know a little bit more about that area than me, ooh, definitely, definitely leave some info for me in the like comments section of the video. I really, really love that. To this day, there have been so many places that I visited and I've had people comment and be like, yo, this is right near my house. In fact, interesting side story for you guys. So a while back, I did a video on uh, the Shitamachi, the back streets of Tokyo. It was a really fun video and it was an area that I know fairly well and that I'm really comfortable with. It's an area that I walk pretty much every day. In fact, today before recording this podcast, just to kind of clear my mind and get an idea of exactly the stories that I wanted to share with you guys and the talk that I want to have with you guys, I took a walk through the Stamachi back streets. I love it. There's something calming, cooling, refreshing about it. Plus, it doesn't hurt that it's actually a calm, cool day outside today. Just recently, I had a Japanese person DM me and be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I saw your video on the Shitamachi or back streets of Tokyo and you introduced my daughter's house in that video. And I wanted to share some cool history about that house. That house was built around this time and then after the war this happened and then the area changed to this and one of the reasons that that house is so tight together with other houses is because of like this bylaw for like height and everything like that and originally they had built this on the roof but the city made them take it down then there was this ordinance of like you know different buildings had to have a certain amount of greenery on the roof and they volunteered for a program and I learned all this amazing stuff about this one little area that I had already thought that I knew so much about just because somebody saw it and they're like, you know what? He seems to appreciate the area. I want to share this knowledge with him. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. So one of the things that I wanted to say, and I think that this every single time it's a little bit humbling. And it's one of the reasons I really enjoy doing what I do, creating content so much is because as much as I enjoy putting out content, as much as I enjoy sharing with you what I know, there's always somebody, there's always someone who knows it better. And I know that sounds like an insanely, insanely obvious statement. But me being in Tokyo as long as I have, Tokyo's broken down by different areas. And, you know, it's got, it's, there are subcultures built within it. And I like to introduce a lot of the areas, a lot of the subcultures, a lot of the spots. And there's always going to be somebody who knows it a little better than I do, if not a lot better. And so I look forward to probably, I'm thinking somewhere around year, uh, the end of year two, beginning of year three of the vlog. 
I'm hoping to go back and do revamps of videos, just sharing like the updates on some of the information that I've got. It's something that I don't know if I will ever do, but it's, I've got like a couple that I'm just, I've learned so much about from you guys. So yeah, that's, that's, that hopefully puts a little bit of a lid on that. But coming back to the topic of content creation and having to put a lot of stuff to the side. It's it's kind of heartbreaking in a way, but it's also kind of exciting. So let me use this Sapporo video as kind of an example for you guys um, and tell you a little bit of the, the backstory to shooting that video and what is going like what happened with that video. So for those of you who have seen the video, you'll probably already know, but I'm just going to give a little bit of a summary. So the Sapporo video itself took place over the span of about three to four days in total. I arrived on the 5th and I left on the 8th. Now, one of the first things I did when I got there, besides obviously having a meal and checking into the hotel, was to sort out any remaining footage from Italy. Because actually, let's, let's take a step back even further. Would you believe that while I was in Italy, I shot about six videos? Yeah, a total of six videos. Now, when I say I shot six videos, I don't necessarily mean that I shot six independent videos. See, what I did is I shot a couple client-esque videos for while I was there in the case that any of the like video clients that I work with are interested in having the content. It's something that I do really often and maybe, so one of the things that I do in the background is I do release client-esque videos that are roughly one to two minutes each. I have done maybe 30 or 40 of these in the past couple of months and, and do a fair number of them every single month. May, who knows, maybe like at the end of this year or beginning of next year, I'll release one by one, like one or two each week on the Facebook page or something like that because they are short form, really punchy videos. More often than not, they end up looking like behind the scenes videos of other stuff that's going on. So, for example, in the Italy video, uh, Kiki and I stopped at a cafe and we grabbed some coffee. Well, in my client video, I, I did like it just in case. It was a cafe outlet. I'd never heard of a cafe outlet before in my life. And so we shot like a, a mini little one minute video there or like a shopping center that we swung by. I was like, okay, well, this is what a shopping center in Italy looks like. And I shot a little video there, but... So basically, when I am shooting a video for YouTube, I actually shoot roughly three versions of it simultaneously. And this is like a little peek behind the curtain. This changes a little bit every single time that I make a video. But I think the Hokkaido one was a perfect example of this. So the Italy one and Hokkaido one, I, I shot probably two to three versions of each of those. And then I'd select the one that matches the storyline or the feel that I have at the end of it. You see, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to come next. And I, I kind of want to make a storyline that has a beginning, a middle and an end, some kind of conflict in the middle, some kind of resolution, some kind of excitement, or at least peak point in the entire thing. And so the Italy one, we had actually shot additional videos on day two, three and four in Italy as well. But a storyline never came together. It basically was us going to work, the girls on stage, us leaving work. 
us going to work, girls on stage, leaving work. And nothing insanely eventful or exciting or of value happened in any of those days. So those videos went to the side. Those videos just never ended up turning into vlog content whatsoever. And similarly, in Sapporo, I had shot a couple different stories. Like one was like a really high energy. Guess what? I'm back in Sapporo. It was it was really reflective and it really played on old footage. Um, another one was more very, very informational. I, I shared a little bit of the background. One of the other things that I sidestepped on in the Sapporo video that I meant to talk a little bit more about was the uh, city planning and how Sapporo being such a new city is really amazing for city planning because it has afforded them some incredible opportunities. One of my favorite such opportunities that if you've seen my initial video of me going to Sapporo 14 years ago, you will know is that it gave them the opportunity to avoid the cow path nature of city streets and lay out their streets in a grid-like format. In fact, interestingly enough, a lot of Sapporo's streets don't even have street names. They are just compass coordinate and number. North 1 west 2, north 2, west 2, it's all laid out in a grid. So when you're looking for an address in an area like Sapporo, it's really interesting because you can just look, okay, I need to go to south 3, east 5, and you can literally just go exactly to that point. And one of the other things that I found incredibly interesting, and I cannot believe that I didn't know about this the first time that I went to Sapporo. Mind you, I went in the spring, so it wasn't super cold and it obviously wasn't a necessity, was the underground walkway. Now, the underground walkway was way more incredible than I showed it to be in the video. In fact, I had an entire section of video, like five to seven minutes of me just exploring that underground, but it kind of all looks exactly the same no matter how I shoot it and basically in the video I talked about how from the station to Odori Park there's an entire underground area I was originally like well you know Sapporo isn't that crowded there aren't a lot of people here but they are all underground that underground walkway is much bigger than I initially thought it doesn't just go from the station to Odori Park it goes beyond Old Dodi Park and spreads out sideways. It connects to buildings' basements. It connects to train stations. It is one of the most well-organized, well-planned out, and well-built undergrounds I have ever seen. And that was actually a piece of content that I was like, oh, I can't wait to share this with you guys. And it was really, really good information. It was really fun. But really, more than anything, I was just able to sum it up right here in the podcast. Like, that's it. It's well organized. It's well designed. It's bigger than I thought. There's the whole video. And I had about a five to seven minute like video with some B-roll and whatnot. But it, as I said, it, it all just kind of looked the same. So that's another video that kind of got set to the side and this is something that as I said happens more often than not so I don't know hopefully this has been something that you guys have gotten a little bit of value out of or at least enjoyed learning about as I said today's podcast is really just a sit and talk more than anything else I've just really missed sitting down and chatting with you guys and I think that it probably shows through this so 
That being said, there's a couple exciting things coming up that I would absolutely love to be able to share with you guys right now. First and foremost, um, I want to say to all of you who have walked up and approached me on the street and been like, hey, how's it going? Thank you guys so much. Those are really, really some of my favorite moments. And more often than not, I think I might be happier about it than you guys are. So never stop. Uh, quite recently, I ran into a gentleman uh, at a burger shop and he's like, hey, wait, are you Norm? And I'm like, yes, I'm Norm. And unfortunately, in that moment, I was a little bit busy and I, I couldn't stop and chat. We did get a picture together, but our time felt kind of short lived. And he said, well, you know, there's this event coming up on the weekend. Are you going to be going to that event? And I, I told him, yes, Yes, I am going to that event. So there is a event through a creative agency coming up this weekend. Those of you who are regular followers of the Japan online community will probably know what the event is. Yes, 100%. I will be there. And even more, there are some obviously creators coming in from outside of Tokyo for this event. And one of said creators is going to be Sherry coming in from Ehime. We did a podcast together a little while back, and I've been thinking it might be nice to do either a follow-up on that podcast or a completely different podcast. And just if you guys have any ideas, you know where to find me on Twitter. That is if you use it or you can just leave something on the Facebook page or something like that. Totally cool as well. But if you guys have any ideas of content that you would like to hear on the podcast, definitely, definitely let me know and I will see if we can't arrange an afternoon and just sit down and do a podcast together. Now that I've said the word podcast like 30 times in eight seconds, let's move on from that. There's one more thing that I'm really, really excited about, and it's what's going to be happening in about two weeks. You see, if all goes well, fingers crossed, there's going to be another exciting piece of travel coming up in about two weeks. Let's knock on wood. There are a few things that need to fall into place in order to make it all happen. The only thing I'll say is it's winter in Japan right now, and it's not winter where I'm going. That should pretty much, where, where I'm hoping to go, that should pretty much summarize it. But you see, there, there are one or two things that might be in the way. There was a bit of a disaster uh, coming back from Milan that it was kind of an uh, one of those things that can't be helped, but it was, it was a pretty heavy disaster that almost made everything fall apart. It looks like I've managed to sort out the pieces and align us in a way that we might be able to do this, but oh, I, I really wish I could say more. Once everything is 100% confirmed, which I'm hoping is going to be early next week, I will announce it absolutely everywhere that I can so that, you know, if you guys are in that particular place, maybe we have an opportunity to arrange something where I'm not saying meet up, but maybe, you know, eh, who knows? Um, the, the Italy event was kind of interesting because some of you came up to say hello to me in Italy. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I did not realize there were so many Tokyo lens peeps in Italy. So 
with all of that aside, you, you can definitely hear the smile on my face more than anything. It comes down to the same thing that it always comes down to here on the podcast. And that's just the gratitude that I feel to each and every single one of you for just being a part of this, for taking the time to listen to the podcast, for being a part of this community, for sharing your experiences and information with me, just for caring enough about the content that you're willing to put in your time, your effort, your opinions, everything. It really does mean the world to me. Thank you. Thank you. So all of that being said, um, I think we're going to start wrapping up today's podcast somewhere around here. Ooh, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Nope. Because there's one more piece of content that I'm working on right now that I know quite a few of you have been waiting for because... Quite a few of you have been reaching out to me and saying, Hey, Norm, how's this coming along? When is this piece of content coming out? And give me just two seconds to grab something and I will give you a hint as to what this piece of content is going to be all about. So for regular viewers of the Tokyo Lens vlog, you will know that the sound you are hearing now is not just a shamisen, but it's my new shamisen. That's right, it is done, it is ready, and I am working on the video right now that shares the entire documentation of the process from me going to choose the shamisen all the way through to it being worked on, made, completed, all the way up to now where it is in my hands and I'm getting ready for multiple performances this month. It is a piece of content that I am excited about to a degree that I cannot, which probably means it's not going to do well. <laughs> okay, so there's this thing within the creator community that happens really, really often and I, I, it makes sense as to why, but when there's a piece of content that you are far too excited about, something that you like far too much, you don't really take an objective view on it. You don't really put in the, the same level of work that you would into something like a thumbnail or title because you, you can't step back and look at it from an objective position. It's something that you love so much that you want to give it this title. You want the thumbnail to be this. And more often than not, you'll put it out either completely unaware or maybe even completely aware that that title or thumbnail or whatever it is maybe even that piece of content doesn't appeal to everyone but it's one that you want out there so bad that it doesn't matter if a million people watch it or a hundred people watch it you're just really glad that you put it out there and I think that a lot of content creators will, will joke about this quite openly just the simple fact that like I, I have a content creator friend back in Canada who put in an insane amount of work into a video, something like 49 hours of editing done over three days. And it got like okay views. And then shortly after that, he released a piece of content that he just, I think he edited together in like two to three hours. And it went total viral and it, it was just a hilarious situation and we you know don't really get upset about it or anything like that because you never know what's going to go big but 
after talking about it, we agreed that that, that that second piece of content was much more objective. It was one that he wasn't so emotionally attached to. So he's like, okay, this would definitely be a catchy title. This would definitely be a catchy thumbnail. But you don't necessarily want the more personal pieces of content to be super catchy. You want them to be a little more, I don't know, uh, representative uh, of like an emotion or feeling or moment or something like that. I still honestly have zero clue when exactly I'm going to release this. I'm guessing sometime within the next five to seven days. It's going to have to be in that time period. But I definitely don't have the first clue of what I would use as a thumbnail or even what I would title it. Um, I've like, 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 what? Getting my new chamisen, like that's. It just seems borderline bland. So it's a piece of content that I'm really, really looking forward to. So for those of you who are listening to this podcast and are sitting there going, "What in the world is he talking about?" Um, a, what is a chamisen, and B, what, 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 what's going on? So a little bit of background, uh, shamisen, three-stringed Japanese instrument, the one you just heard before, is an instrument that I play here in Japan that I put a ton of work into becoming a part of. It's definitely mentioned in other podcasts, so feel free to check out pretty much almost any podcast in the list. And it's something that I talk about quite often on the Tokyo Lens channel. Also, if you're not a regular viewer of the Tokyo Lens YouTube channel, then there's a pretty good chance that you may have missed the video. Uh, I, I think it's called like my next big step here in Japan or something along those lines. And the backstory to this video is quite simple. I am an apprentice of two major players called the Yoshida Brothers here in Japan. And I thought it was time for me to upgrade to a new shamisen. And so I asked them, uh, well, particularly the one that I work closest with, the older of the two brothers, do you think it's time for me to get a new shamisen? He said, I think that at your level, it's definitely time to invest in a new shamisen. It had some deeper meaning behind it, again, covered in another podcast. And I began the journey of getting this new shamisen. Now, these are all handmade pretty much from fairly close to scratch and I had the opportunity to do something that even the shamisen players around me are incredibly surprised by which is document the process of my shamisen being made when I went to Italy with Kiki and I was able to show them some of the footage of my shamisen being made adjusted developed skinned you name it they were like it's we've never seen this like we we, we go to the shop we either buy our shamisen or we get our shamisen repaired and that's pretty much it. It comes to us in perfect form. We have never seen it being developed other than the odd video on like Instagram or something like that by a shamisen shop. And so it's something that I really can't wait to share with you guys because it is a glimpse into a world that not a lot of people get to see. And it was truly, truly enjoyable to see how a shamisen is made and adjusted. And just to document the journey of the actually getting this instrument. Additionally, I will say that it has taken me hours and hours of practice pretty much every day just to get used to the feel of this new shamisen. Because each one is handmade. Each one is unique in its shape and feel, believe it or not. So this particular shamisen that I have 
is actually considerably larger than my previous shamisen, set, which makes it, it feels like I'm learning to play all over again from the start. So before, since we're starting to climb up on the one hour mark of this podcast, before we actually hit an hour, I just wanted to say that that's pretty much it. I think it's really it this time. I think I'm actually going to start wrapping up the podcast here for now. Uh, it's been really nice just to be able to sit down and have another podcast where we just sit and talk to each other. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this one as well. I know for sure that it's been a lot of fun just to put together. Uh, the same thing stands as always. Like It would genuinely mean the world to me if you would take two seconds to leave a review on the podcast. Like if it's us, if you're using like Apple Podcasts or something and you have a spare minute or two right now, every single one of those that comes in, like it just, it puts a huge smile on my face. It really, really does. And so if you have a minute or two and you got any value out of the podcast, I would love it if you would leave a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. That being said, guys, thank you so much as always, for joining today's podcast. Um, as you know, there's some exciting podcasts and video content coming up around the corner. So until then, uh, have a beautiful day. And you guys know, I will talk to you again real soon. Yeah.